We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Uh, well, hey, let's, uh, let's get after it, shall we? Let's go ahead and get into God's Word. Um, last week, uh, Paul Allen brought to you uh, chapter 3 starting in verse 10, and uh, Paul, thank you, brother. This church is blessed with a number of gifted um, men to feed the flock and gifted women to serve, and, and we just, we're just so grateful. So it, that's a team effort, so Becca and the kids, thank you for giving of yourselves and uh, freeing up your daddy to prepare a good meal for the body of Christ to eat. So love you guys. Um, all right. Um, hey, I want you to do something with me this morning, okay? This is just a little bit of review of Romans so far, okay? Uh, I just I want you to take a moment and uh, think, just reflect uh, on something that might be troubling you in your life right now, okay? Maybe something uh, that you're stressed out about, maybe something that's worrying you, um, maybe it's uh, holidays that are coming up or relationships addictions, um, whatever, whatever it is, uh, does that come to your mind pretty quickly? Something that you're troubled about? <laughs> I would imagine it, it, it would. Uh, it's pretty much on the forefront of all of our minds. So, so far in the book of Romans, um, we have learned in the first chapter that gospel um, is the power of God for salvation. Uh, for, to those who believe, okay? And then we've also learned that the power of God is the righteousness of God. And that righteousness, it is revealed to you. For faith, so upon placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you by faith receive Christ, you become righteous before Him in right standing. But also that power is revealed for faith. Because the righteous shall live by faith. And so, so far in our study of Romans, you should be able to take whatever is troubling you and apply the Gospel to it and trust that His power is at work in you for whatever's on your mind and heart. That power is, is strong. It's, 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 it's above all earthly powers, as Martin Luther said. We've got to say that on Reformation Sunday, the last Sunday of October. This is, this is the hope that we have. This power, it gave you eternal life, which is something to celebrate but also it helps you in this life. It's pretty attractive, isn't it? Like, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is so attractive. 
This is so beautiful. This is like a balm to the soul. Whatever circumstances you're going through right now, God has provided sufficient power for you to live by faith. You are more than conquerors. You're victorious. Amen? Amen. All right. You should also hear up to this point in Romans that the whole world um, needs to hear about that power. Like, without Christ, you are totally lost in this world and for eternity. And so you should hear also by now, if you are not a Christian, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ for your sins and the power to live by faith. And we just would invite you to explore that with us, to come to talk to us. Look around this church and look for like someone who's, who's like, wow, that guy, that girl, they're showing their teeth. They're joyful. Like, they're different. I'm like, like shoulders shrugged and like over like this. And that guy, that girl has the love of Christ. Go to him. Talk to him. Figure out what makes him tick. Today we're in Romans 3, 21 through 26. And we're going to get right after it. Are you there with me? Here we go. But now, the righteousness of God, that would be God's standard of holiness and His righteous requirements to stand before Him, it says, has been manifested which means it's been made clear. It's visible. The righteousness of God is not this mystery that, or riddle that we have to figure out. Uh, it's not hidden. And Paul says it's apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That is, the whole Old Testament, so if you're not familiar with Christianity or the Bible, that's everything to the left of those big books that you see Christians carrying around. The Old Testament all talks about Jesus Christ fulfilling this law. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, which is pretty much the most jam-packed, rich theological verse ever, 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 ever. <laughs> Let me read it again. This is beautiful. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. And here's a review of chapter 1, 18, all the way to 3.20. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is what man did. He fell short. And now we enter into this new expression, this, this new like portion of the letter where Paul begins to talk about, look at what God did. Okay? So the last three weeks were a little gloomy. It had to sting a little bit. Like Paul, 
Paul had to get you lost before he gets you saved. Like you got to see your need for Christ before you come to Christ. And now we're giving you like the kitchen sink. This is what God did in His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? So in this passage, you're going to see three dominating scenarios or, or scenes or, or metaphors. Okay? Specific scenes to help us gain an understanding and appreciation of God's great love for us. And each setting is going to convey uh, the unique works of God through Jesus Christ, and it's going to communicate your unique condition prior to coming to Christ. So today, uh, Paul's going to lead us into the courtroom. He's going to lead us into the slave market, and he's going to lead us into the temple. That's how we're going to organize our time together. If you leave from here going, what did that funny looking guy talk about? The courtroom, the slave market, and the temple. All right? And my prayer is that, oh, after this time in this text, that certainly you would love the Lord more with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That you would love your neighbor as yourself. But also, that you would know how to explain the gospel to your coworkers and your friends, and your family, and your neighbors after this. So count this a big worship service, of course, but also count this as like a leadership evangelism training. So listen with a mind and an ear to have both happen in your, in your heart, okay? All right, so let's go ahead and start with verse 24. Here we go. It's the court, the market, and the temple. I'll read it in its entirety, and then we'll dissect it. We'll unpack it together. Verse 24, And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom put, for, put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. All right, so we got some big words in there. Let's start with the court, okay? Verse 24a, the court, and are justified by His grace as a gift. Okay, so we're in the law court now, in the court-like setting, so let your mind go there. Have you ever been in a court? Yeah, you ever been in a courtroom? Like kids, maybe you've, you've seen a TV show or a movie where there's, you know, there's a judge, there's a jury on the side, there's a bunch of people watching, there's a prosecuting attorney, there's a defending attorney, there's usually sitting, someone sitting on the stand giving witness about something, true or false. There's like, uh, I swear to tell the truth portion. Are you with me there? Right? Also kind of let, let your mind like look around the courtroom, okay? Usually it's kind of, cold colors, you know, like uh, straight lines and edges. Um, not necessarily uh, wonderful homey artwork or anything. There's usually like big frames with a lot, of, a lot of complicated words and certificates in there, big stamps on them, things like that. The benches, you know, you don't see lazy boys and like nice couches around there. It's kind of stiff feeling. And just a general sense of like, I just want to get out of here. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in my home. I just don't want to be here for a very long time.
So the prosecuting attorney, imagine, just, just stands up in this room that, that you're picturing in your mind and, and, and go ahead and just place yourself in that courtroom, okay? That you are the one being tried. You're, you're sitting there and you're looking around and people aren't really warm or friendly to you. They're just casting these, these, these looks of judgment upon you. And, and, and the judge, he's got all your paperwork laid out on his desk. Right? The prosecuting attorney like speaks to the whole courtroom and just lays out your whole life before everyone in there. And the judge, the judge is sworn into that office to abide by the law. He must. He has to. And you, you, you and the people, everyone wants him to. Like if he doesn't, if he shows partiality, he's inconsistent. And if he, if he just shows preference to maybe like this person who he likes and ah, this person, I didn't like the sweater that they wore today in court. Or ah, he didn't quite tie his tie right. Or if, he, if he's like that, the whole world is chaos. And so you want the judge to go by facts, right? He has to be just in his justice. So he's looking through the facts. And really, the only reasonable thing and just thing for the judge to do after hearing just the whole scroll of your wrongs is to pick up the gavel, which is the, the declaration of judgment, and to bang it on his desk and to say, guilty. Not, a, not an emotional decision, not out of any sort of partiality or favoritism. He must. He, he must be true to himself, true to the facts, but instead, just imagine this. That before he, he picks up the gavel, he, he kind of looks at you. He looks at all the facts. And you just see his mind working. And instead of his eyes looking at you with, with just laser beam judgment of wrath, he's got this tenderness. Right? Like his eyebrows just bend a little bit. You just sense a little bit of warmth from his face. And he totally breaks protocol in the court. And from the back, he goes, You know what? I'm going to be true to this whole system. I'm going to be true to these facts. And I'm going to do something special. Tell you what, I'm going to bring in my only son. Come on in here. And his son busts through the double doors and walks down. And he takes all of your facts, all of the things that you've done wrong, and he picks up his gavel and he looks at you and he says, you, not guilty. 
son. And he puts all of them, all these papers, and he's, he's like, takes sticky notes, and he just glues them all over him, right? And he takes out his gavel, and he says, everything that he has done, you're paying for him. And he looks at him, and he says, guilty. And his son pays for all the things that you've done. It's almost like he stands up and says to the court, the crimes this man has committed are punishable by death. And they must be paid in full. And I must be true to the law and the rest of the world must see the consequences for his, your, our actions. But today, this man will not be sentenced to death for eternity. I'd like to bring up my one and only son to receive the legal and just punishment that only my son can pay for and actually only this man deserved. But now my son will receive it. Now picture yourself just in the courtroom witnessing this. And your eyes are looking upon the judge. You're watching this whole scene play out, okay? Like, what would, we, what would you do with your body? Like, I picture myself there watching the judge and, and me kind of looking around to my wife and kids and going like this with my hands. <laughs> right? Like, almost this bewilderment, befuddlement, like this, this wonder of like, what kind of, what kind of man is this? This, this judge who, does he even know, uh, does, what about his son and how is, where is that, all these questions, but being overwhelmed by the character of the judge in his, in his love. Just like your own son, Judge. Like you didn't, you didn't, he didn't do any of the things. And why would you place judgment upon your son instead of the sinner? Are you with me there? Can you place yourself in those in that courtroom today? Why? is answered in this verse. And there's two answers. Ready? It says, by His grace. Do you see it in there? Go ahead and circle it if you're taking notes in your Bible. So this would be the reaction from the audience. Ah, oh, what grace! Right? Like, what favor! So put grace, dash, favor. He didn't deserve it. The guy on the stand, he didn't deserve it. Like he actually deserved to be declared guilty. Look at all the things he did. I heard it. And so you just marvel at the generousness of the judge. Like you go, wow, that I, I'm pretty sure. I don't really know what goodness means, but that was goodness. God towards those whom he made. He showed his goodness, his grace, his love and favor. Uh, there's another answer. It says, as a gift. 
as a gift, which is, it was done freely, which means in the manner of a gift, right? Someone's having some trouble back there, aren't they? We just need to stop and pray for that little baby, you know? Yeah. Maybe, Peter, maybe you could close our doors and uh, give that, that little baby a chance to just breathe a little bit. <laughs> maybe a goldfish or... <laughs> I love it. So like, um, for instance, we're talking about um, as a gift. For instance, um, who, who this Christmas um, will run downstairs, open a gift under the Christmas tree, and go, ah, oh, thanks mom and dad, I totally deserve this gift. Right? Like, kids, do you think that would be a good thing to say at Christmas time? Like, oh, everything in this gift, I, I it's for me, and I deserve it. Like, no, right? Oh, thank you so much, mom and dad. What a, what a gift. That's the definition of a gift. You don't open it up and go, oh, yeah, what a wage, which is something you deserve, right? And we learned about that for the wages of sin. You go, oh, what a gift, a free gift to me from your favor, from your love, from your goodness. So in summary, in the courtroom, this is what Paul is saying to us this morning. That God the judge gave a gift to you by declaring you righteous and innocent instead of guilty. You got that? In the courtroom, God gave you a gift. God the judge. He gave you a gift. And He declared you righteous and innocent instead of guilty. We're going to talk about what you means. That's not a universal thing. It must be done by faith, but I'll we'll get to that. Let's go to our next scenario, okay? The slave market. Romans 3, 24b says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All right, so these are slave market terms. Let's let our mind and our heart go to a slave market scenario, okay? Have you ever toured a slave market, a historical um, portion of land set aside now to remember the wretchedness, evilness, the sin of slavery? Have you ever been to some historical site like that? Like, uh, a side note, slavery is abhorrent to God. Uh, he hates it when humans think that they own other humans. And when they can um, act upon other humans with unnecessary authority and cruelty. It's abhorrent. Slavery, God, God hates the mistreatment of humans. What Paul is saying here is that you were a slave. And you were in the slave market. Who owned you? Your sin did. Like your sinful desires enslaved you. You were owned by them. We, prior to Christ, were, were captivated. We loved 
our sin. It dominated. It, it controlled us. Uh, Hannah and I, we had the opportunity um, when we lived in Africa to visit one of the chief slave markets of the east coast of Africa. It's uh, on an island called Zanzibar. And we visited this island, now known as the uh, Spice Island capital of the world. Slaves were, were, were brought in, imported, and exported. You see those horrible cold terms, right? Into this island. And it was all, it was just all stone everywhere. So much so that the city was called, the city of, uh, within Zanzibar is called Stony, Stone Town, okay? Just all stone, cold, with, with just moisture on all the rocks, with big chains bolted into the stone, with rusty metal shackles all in the stone, still preserved, right? This is a horrible place. Like, we needed to go there, but we wanted to get out of there as quickly as we could. It's just rusty and cold and cruel. And that's where you were. Like, you were owned by your sins. And you, in your condition, you not just gave in or found yourself at the slave market of sin, it wasn't like, oh, whoops, now I'm just in a condition to just happen to, or I, I need to get a tetanus shot because of the rusty chains of slavery. It was that you chose this disease called sin. And you willingly put yourself under it because you wanted it. It was attractive. Listen to this, this hymn and this work of Christ. This is And Can It Be by Charles Wesley. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Watch this. And thine eye, thine eye diffused a quickening ray, and I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off and my heart was free. And I rose and went forth and followed thee. Him and songwriters throughout time have been captured. They've been captivated by this, this reality, not this idea, this reality. God bought you from your sin. He purchased you with a price. So, hey, worshipers, your worship will raise if you see your condition prior to Christ. Do you see the love of God in Jesus Christ for you? Do you see it? So in summary here, when Paul says in verse 24, let your eyes go there, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, he's saying two things. One, you were in the slave market and of your own choosing you were shackled to your sin. So he's using those slavery terms, redemption. And two, that God bought you. He redeemed you. And He redeemed it with a price. And that price was the blood of His own Son, Jesus Christ. That's pretty good news for you, isn't it? Amen. Yeah. The temple. Let's go there. Romans 3, 25. 
whom God put forth as a big word. Here we go. It's a good Christian word, though. Propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It's a great verse. If you can explain this one, you are an evangelist. Woo! Okay, so let's go for it, okay? All right, so have you ever been maybe in a court? Have you ever been maybe in a slave market? Have you ever been in a really big, large religious establishment? I'm talking, I'm talking like maybe you're unfamiliar with the Bible. So I just don't want to assume, oh, temple, right? Oh, temple, yeah, 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 Old Testament. Like, usually, like I was talking to one of my Indian friends today, uh, this, I'm sorry, not today, this past week, and I said, do you worship in a temple nearby? All right, so like, if you're using temple lingo these days, we're really talking about Hindu temples or Buddhist temples, okay? But when Christians talk about temples in the context of the Bible, what we're referring to is in the Old Testament, the center for worshiping God was the temple, okay? And it's really important to understand the temple and what went on in the temple in order to get this verse, okay? Um, so in the temple... In the Old Testament, that was when sins were paid for. You sinned, which was everyone, both in Israel and all the people of the world. They brought sheep and they brought like doves, they brought cows, they brought animals to the temple to be slaughtered for because the life of the animal is in the blood. God required blood in order for the payment of sins. He required death. And so the animal, instead of the person, got killed. I don't know if you've ever seen any movies on it, like the Nativity or you know, whatever, but like in the olden days, they would press their heads up against the cow. They would grab them by the horns and in a symbolic way, their sins were passed to the animal. And then the priests would take out the knife and in a really rated R bloody fashion would slit the throat and blood would go everywhere. And it was messy because sin was messy. It was paid for when that animal, the carcass, was taken to the Ark of the Covenant and the blood was poured out on top of the covering of the Ark of the Covenant, which was called the mercy seat. And it was so hot that that blood, when it hit the mercy seat, would rise up and smoke would fill the nostrils of God. And He would smell it and He would go, paid for, like done, I'm satisfied and you no longer have to pay for your sins, but the animals do. And they were, God was satisfied for a time. All right. You want a definition of propitiation? Ready? So write it out. Kids, copy it down, okay? And put a dash and put one word satisfied. Satisfied. All right. If I was sitting in your shoes, 
I'd be like, you, Newman, what are you talking? Why are you talking about this? You are so far ahead of me right now. Like I was watching the Buckeye game yesterday, and now I'm talking. You know, I'm listening about cows and blood and the Ark of the Covenant. Why I'm bringing temple up is because propitiation is a temple word. Paul uses temple language to talk about the gospel with us. So I'm not coming from, from just nowhere, okay? Um, when the, the writers, I'm sorry, when the translators of the, of the New Testament looked at the Old Testament and they were like, ah, everyone's just speaking Greek now. Let's translate the, the Old Testament into Greek and the New Testament. Let's, let's just have it all one book, all Greek, so everyone can read it. Because everyone knows Hebrew now. They looked at the word for mercy seat in the Old Testament, in the Ark of the Covenant, and they used the same word in Romans 3.25, propitiation. The same word. They're saying, ah, I think Paul is doing the same thing. This is what he's talking about. So God took it upon himself to initiate the exchange of life by shedding blood. The life of a sinless animal for a life of a sinless human. And now we know Christ's death on the cross turned away or satisfied. Who? The wrath of God. So the effect on God's standard of righteousness, like what happened? What happened? God's standards of righteousness were satisfied in the death of Jesus Christ. His perfect life and His perfect death. Okay? So did Jesus die for you? Yes, amen. But also, we must say, and this will, just, this will just raise your heart to the love of God, that Jesus died for God. He died for the Father to satisfy His wrath. Thank you, Jesus, for being perfect. Thank you, Jesus, for being God. All right, so why did God do this? Verse 25 and 26. He did it as a demonstration to show he was righteous. This is really deep and it's really good. Let me read it for you. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness as at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you see that language in verse 25? That Jesus, He was put forward. This was to show. Right? So He could have been like smiting every evil act in the Old Testament. Every sin. God the Father had the right to enact His wrath and kill them. 
But he was patient and he waited to express and pour out all his wrath on one person so that that square peg, remember, could fit in the round hole eventually. So that those who have faith in Jesus Christ could have his righteousness through Christ. So you can know God. It had to happen this way. And this is the gospel. Talk about this. Like, love this. Like, preach about this. This is what happened. And when his son paid for your sins, God the Father was just. He had to follow the law. He had to read the facts. He couldn't ignore them. He had to pay for sin, which is the unique facet of Christianity. Study all the other world religions out there. None of them deal with sin. They all push it aside. They all hide it under the rug. All other quote-unquote gods show partiality in the area of judgment of sin except God the Father. It works. So He was just. And He was also the justifier. He moved towards His people. And He initiated the courtroom, the market, the temple. He initiated the works of justifying and propitiating and redeeming. And He granted you faith in Jesus Christ. He even initiated that one. Okay, so what are we supposed to do, church? All right, gathering, right? Like, what are we supposed to do about these three like magnificent expressions of love? The court, the market, the temple. So let's take it and kind of round third and come home, okay? First, if you are an unbeliever, you need to know that you do not benefit from these expressions of love yet. You must, you must receive them by faith. So even though all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it's not the, the converse is true idea. Not all are justified, redeemed, and propitiated for. Theologically, we say that the blood of Christ is sufficient for all, but it is efficient for some. Who's that some? Those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So I say again, you must receive Jesus. This happens by faith. Faith is the conduit where you can experience the love of God. If you don't have faith, you'll experience different expressions of the love of God, namely, His wrath. If you are a believer, here's three things coming your way to help you respond to this text. So kids, if you're taking notes, if you're still learning about how to take notes, I would kind of like draw a line under everything that you've written so far and write down like a question mark and maybe the question like, so, so what should I do? Okay? So first, rejoice. Rejoice. Like, 
Don't just immediately run to, oh, I got to get busy or I got to get my, find my hands, something to do. Uh, just rejoice from your heart. Like worship the one who saved you. Like do it. While you, while you sit right now, while you drive, while you're on your way to work, home, and in your desk, at your class, wherever, this is the step where you can say, I rejoice in my salvation. Thank you. It's going to drive. It's going to fuel everything. If you express your gratitude to God from your heart. And the cool thing is, is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, unpacks how to respond for the, like, pretty much the rest of the book. From these three illustrations it's pretty cool but we'll just do short little jumps to give you a sneak peek of what is coming so i didn't just make up the word rejoice it's not like my preference on how to respond romans 5 1 and 2 says that since we have been justified huh, huh? see that word since we've been justified rejoice in hope for the glory of god so our call is to rejoice because we have been de declared pa pa not guilty. Listen to the words of this hymn, okay? This is one of my favorites. I was asked a few short weeks ago what's your favorite hymn? This is one of them. It's a really hard question, but this is called The Love of God by Frederick Martin Lehman. Verse 3. I don't think it gets better than verse 3. Ready? Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above? <laughs> it would drain the ocean dry. And nor could the scroll contain the whole. Though stretched from sky to sky, the love of God, how rich and pure and how measureless and strong. And it shall forevermore endure the saints and the angels' song. That's our song. That's our song. It's the love of God. It never gets old. You just can sing it all day long. So saints, please know that God loves you today. And he loves you so much that as the judge, he sent his son to pardon you and to rescue you from being owned by sin and in the slave market of sin. And he put forth his own son to pay for your sins. That you might have life and have it to the full. Number one is rejoice. Number two, kill sin number two kill sin so if you're looking for a response from this text it beckons you it it calls you to be serious about your sin and to kill it this is from romans 8 1 through 13 so again just a little sneak peek in it right so if you we have been purchased from the marketplace of sin if we've been bought with a price we are to glorify god with our bodies in romans 8 says that we are free now. We've been unshackled, unfettered, and we're no longer slaves to sin. Therefore, 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 we can put to death sin by the Spirit. So if you're looking for a homework assignment, memorize Romans 8.13 this week. It's a, it's a wonderful verse, right? 
There's a saying about your sin, and it says, be killing your sin, or it will kill you. And you might go, I can't kill it. And we'll always be sinners, right? It's like, yes. And so like, it, another way to frame it would be to starve your sin. Starve it. Like, don't feed it. Folks who have gluten sensitivities know what I'm talking about. You starve yourself from gluten and you are healthier as a result because it doesn't permeate your large and small intestines. It doesn't get in there and attack it. People with gluten allergies identify gluten as poison. And so they starve themselves from the bread. Starve yourself from sin. Like don't, don't let it eat you. Be active. Kill it. And number three, live for Jesus. So we have rejoice, we have kill sin. And number three, live for Jesus. This is from Romans 12. So since Jesus was made, he was the perfect sacrifice, he poured out his blood for us, Paul takes this idea and jumps to Romans 12, right? And he goes, so, so live, your, live your life as a living sacrifice. Like, crawl up on the altar and live for Jesus. Be holy and pleasing to God. And so just to be specific this morning, I would say a great way to live for Jesus this week is to allow, allow each of those scenarios, the temple, the marketplace, and the courtroom, allow those situations to break your heart for the people who are still in those places. Allow your heart to be humble. And that's where we're going next week. He goes, where is there room for boasting? There isn't. We'll talk about that. But this week, allow your heart to break for people who are still in the marketplace, the courtroom, who are still trying to pay for their sins. It's exhausting. We've all been there. And tell them about the gospel. Well, what do you mean? What, what gospel? This gospel. Where? The, these verses. Seek to share Christ with these verses this week. It's, it, it, it doesn't need some cool transition or some cool like intro. You could be like this. Like um, some, some guy in, in your workplace goes, how was your weekend? And you could choose a number of things to talk about with that broad question, right? You could choose the Buckeye game, 52 to 17. You could choose something in the home. You could do, but you could also choose church. You could choose church to answer it. It's a little awkward, but get over it. And go like this. Yeah, I went to church this Sunday. And the pastor dude, he talked about, and then you fill in the blank, whichever one touched you this morning. Right? He talked about the temple. Have you ever heard about that? Hindu temple? No, 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 the Jewish temple. It's crazy. Let me just like, give you a quick snapshot. We've got 15 minutes. We're on break, right? And you could share with them about the courtroom, the market, the temple. Why would you do that? Um, it's necessary, actually, because faith comes through hearing. People don't become Christians by osmosis. They come to faith through hearing 
And God says, I want you to tell them. And if you're at all shy about it, or if you're at all nervous that it might not work, listen to the very first line of a mighty fortress is our God. This one got me this week. You got to share this hymn on Reformation Sunday, right? When the, the Protestant church rejected the teachings of the Catholic church. They said this, that word, capital W, that word, so Jesus came as the word, and also the scriptures, that word, it's above all earthly powers. You ever thought about that? Me neither. I just sang it real quick, right? I thought about the, the other ones like let goods and kindred go, like would I give up my lawnmower for Jesus? Man, I like my lawn, you know, or whatever. But the word is powerful, and it's more powerful than any other power that you see on this earth. That's why Luther could say that word above all earthly powers. Would you do it this week? Would you rejoice? Would you kill your sin with me? Would you live for Jesus this week? Are you with me? Let's do it. Let's do it. We're going to provide a little bit of time of reflection. Okay? And so, uh, Joe, Becca, Josh, would you come up here? And um, we have prepared just two questions for you for reflection. I'm going to read them. We're going to just pause. And then we're going to sing. And then I'm going to come back up here. And we're going to just look at these two questions again. They're simple questions. Here's the first one. Lord, what did you want me to hear today? Right? Pray, close your eyes, open your eyes, write it down, close your eyes, open your eyes, like live in this question. Why'd you, why'd you bring me here, Lord, today? The next question, how do you want me to respond? Those are the two questions. Would you reflect, would you ask God through his Holy Spirit to move and stir up your affections towards him specifically for this week? What did you want me to hear? How do you want me to respond? Let's pray.